Hello and welcome to the Combat and Classics podcast. I'm Brian Wilson in Dallas, Texas, and today we have uh, a special pod. Uh, we have our first uh, seminar pod without Lisa and Jeff. Uh, we brought on two special guests that have done interviews with us before. We have Ann Knigendorf, who is a uh, writer and St. John's grad uh, and Navy veteran. Uh, she is a frequent contributor to the Kansas City Star and KCUR, the local Kansas City NPR affiliate. Thank you for joining, Ann. Thank you, Brian. We got Matt Young. Uh, Matt was on one or two pods ago. Uh, Marine vet. Uh, he teaches composition and literature at Centralia College in Washington State, uh, and he is the author of Eat the Apple, which you can find on Amazon.com. Welcome, Matt. Hey, thanks for having me, Brian. Uh, so we are going to do a typical pod episode where we are going to be discussing Hills Like White Elephants. This is a short story by Ernest Hemingway. Um, a little bit of, and usually Lisa or Jeff does this because they can describe things in a very concise manner as opposed to what I'm about to do. But uh, <laughs> two tourists walk into a Spanish bar at a train station and hilarity ensues. That's that's probably a, a decent way to describe it. Or maybe not hilarity. Maybe giant depths of human existential crises. Um Anyway, so we all dig the story and we wanted to talk about it. So um, my opening question for you guys is Jig, who is the female protagonist in this story, repeats herself a lot. Um, she says she doesn't care about herself. She says, I don't care about me three times. She says, no, we can't three times. She asks the man in the story to stop talking three times. And she says, I'm fine twice. Why is she repeating herself? I, I feel like I don't want to be the person that answers that question. I think maybe like this is such an interesting story because it's so gendered and like specifically gendered. And I think uh, maybe Anne wants to jump at that first and I, I maybe could follow up with it or something. Um, well, you know, as, as you know, we don't usually answer any questions at a seminar. Um, so, but, you know, I, my first thought is just that she doesn't feel heard. So um, it, it does seem a little bit like the male character um, a lot of the time isn't listening to her at all and is, is wants this thing, you know, this unnamed thing wants her to do this thing and isn't hearing what she has to say, um, which I think is reflected immediately by calling her the girl and him the man, right? I mean, that she, that Hemingway is even putting her at some lower status, like he's junior somehow because it's not the girl and the boy or the man and the woman. Yeah, I... I I, yeah, 100% agree with that. I think that there's like this, like the whole story essentially is the man talking at the girl and telling him and telling her, you know, that it's going to be okay and that everything's going to go back to normal and, and he's not addressing what is the actual problem. He's only addressing, you know, the, the future of everything being all right. He's not really looking at 
how she feels. He's looking about at how he wants to feel eventually uh, and how he wants things to be like before or after uh, what is what is essentially the, the elephant in the room, which is the which is the girl's pregnancy. And so I think that that whole idea of her repeating herself is, is what Anne said, I think, trying to get her point across, trying to feel like she's heard and then trying to silence him um, and, try, and, you know, that time where she says please 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 stop talking seven times you know she's gotten to the point where you know those tensions have boiled and that tone has kind of like shot up uh and that's kind of the the climax of their their conversation i think at that moment where she really wants to be heard well so i don't bury the lead too too deeply that i you know i think we're all in agreement that you know they're talking about having an abortion that she's pregnant that they're not married that they're you know on vacation uh, or at least traveling Europe and trying to wrestle with whether or not they both want to do this. Uh, to ask a question about what you just said, Matt, is is he not listening or is he not saying what she wants him to say? That's good. Yeah. I mean, I you know, I, I don't know. I, th- I think that the, it's it's hard for me to kind of do the psychoanalytical thing of characters in the story but I do think that he he really isn't listening I I think that I don't think that she has a thing that she wants him to say honestly I I think that that's really maybe the difference of the maybe the male and female perspective in the story is that I think that you know stereotypically I think the man always assumes that there's something that they can do to make the person feel better in that situation like the problem solver kind of stereotype and maybe there's the situation that's happening right here which is like he's the problem solver stereotype and she wants to talk the thing out stereotype and have herself be heard and have her emotions be understood and he doesn't see her as something or as an equal for one but also doesn't see that as a as something that needs to be talked out he sees it as a problem that needs to be solved and so i think that it really is an issue of him not being heard um but I can definitely see the perspective where maybe, you know, if, if through another critical lens that perhaps that there, that she does, ha- does want him to say something. Right. And I think that like, there are four major outcomes to the story after the last page of it, which is, which is like one, you know, they stay together and she keeps the baby. They stay together and she doesn't keep the baby. They break up and she keeps the baby. They break up and she doesn't keep the baby. And I think that like, you know, if you're going to look at the, maybe at a deeper level look at the dialogue in the story and maybe try and pull apart something there and get to one of those four outcomes maybe she's looking for something an answer to one of those four four questions yeah i i I like that kind of clear direction right it's like you have four options tell me what you want (laughs) tell me what you want to have happen um no, I think she's, I feel like she's saying that to him in some level. I don't know if Matt agrees with me, so I don't want to, like, you know, push that too hard. But I, I find it interesting that the first line is, what should we drink? And it's her asking, right? So we assume, you know, the, the, the description of the first paragraph, the American and the girl with him sat at a table in the shade outside the building. It was very hot, and the express from Barcelona would come in 40 minutes. It stopped at this junction for two minutes and went on to Madrid. So they have a 40-minute wait. It's hot. 
Um, there's, you know, it, it's, you know, they're sitting in the shade outside the building and he's not doing anything. And so immediately she says, what should we drink? And he doesn't answer the question, right? He just says, it's pretty hot. And I, 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 if Hemingway's purposely doing this, which I think he is, um, she's trying to address the problem here. <laughs> she doesn't want to propose a solution. Like she wants, you know, him to make a decision is what I'm kind of reading between the lines there. And he doesn't want to do it. He just says, it's pretty hot. Right. And so she has to like force him into, and so she has to say, let's drink beer. And I, I think that that is, that dynamic is repeated a couple of times in here, but also that she is a realist, right? Um, she's the one that will kind of say things uh, and then take them back almost, right? Two pages later, you know, she says, as they're kind of looking out, um, Two pages later, the girl stood up and walked to the end of the station. Across on the other side were fields of grain and trees along the banks of the Ebro. Far away beyond the river were mountains. The shadow of a cloud moved across the field of grain, and she saw the river through the trees. Quote, and we could have all this, she said, and we could have everything, and every day we make it more impossible. What did you say? I said we could have everything. We can have everything. No, we can't. So... She says that we can have everything. She lays out this plan. He agrees with her, and then she goes, no, we can't. So it's it's just interesting that I feel like she's pushing him into like these certain responses, but then he's not giving the right response that she wants, potentially, hypothetically, possibly. Tear that apart. Well, I think it's, you know, she, she, like the classic reading, right, is that that she defers to him and his decision making throughout the story. She defers to him to order drinks and speak to uh, to the waitress. And also, uh, you know, even when she says um, or or when they're uh, where they are, right, like he's obviously the well-traveled person in the situation and she's not. And so I think that like we oftentimes think that she's deferring to him, but maybe I don't know what you just kind of proposed kind of makes me think that maybe we're meant to think that she's deferring to him and she's really not deferring to him. She's trying I think maybe she's trying to push him into a specific space uh, and to, to make him act because if he I think, you know, in this moment, right, you have this kind of she's pushing him into this place where we get to see his true character and before this, right, his true character hasn't been revealed. And if he makes the decision, what he really wants to have happen, then that reveals who he really is and what his true motivations as a character are. And that's maybe destructive to their relationship and to him and this idea that he's created of himself, which I think is kind of interesting and not something that I'd really uh, thought about maybe before you proposed that idea. Well, I could be wildly wrong. Well, just on the first page, it almost seems like she is more worldly and has the upper hand because because I read, you know, the what should we drink? It's pretty hot. Let's drink beer that that she's the one with the upper hand. Yeah, right here. And then this part about um, the hills look like white elephants. And he says, I've never seen one. 
And she says, no, you wouldn't have, you know, like, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. um, you know, you jerk, you're, you know, you, that she's trapped more, you know, that she, I don't know, you can make up a backstory for her, but it's certainly not in the text, you know, that she's, she's the child of diplomats or whatever. And she's traveled the world and maybe she knows she really has seen white elephants. Um, yeah. but he's but she thinks he sure hasn't um so he says i might have and uh just because you say i wouldn't wouldn't have doesn't prove anything so i mean in, in lots of ways the power dynamic just shifts back and forth throughout the text i think doesn't it yeah i i, I the way i kind of read this is and this might be a terrible metaphor but it's two people dancing and neither one wants to take the lead nobody is going to just kind of grab the other person and go, we're, we're dancing this way. Right. Yeah. I don't think that's a horrible metaphor. I think it's an, I think it's a fairly accurate one. I mean, I think that it's, you know, I, I, I think like we were just talking about this kind of revelation of character, you know, if you're deciding that thing, if you're just, if the, if the decision is to get an abortion or to not get an abortion, I think that, you know, that is a, up to the point where they've lived their lives, right? It's a, it seems that they've been mostly carefree and they've lived this life of somewhat decadence and they're kind of, you know, on this traveling uh, binge where they, all they do is drink and look at things uh, like the girl says. And I, and I think that we get to this moment where this real decision is facing them now and they have to like this, it's kind of this encroachment of real life. Right. And then that has to, that's a, there, you know, whatever that decision is, whether you keep it or you don't keep the baby, like that idea is that life is then irrevocably changed past that, past that point, and and you've let reality into the thing that hasn't felt real, which is maybe like the whole idea of the white elephant, right? Which is kind of like this imagination, this idea that you don't, the thing that you don't want, but also the thing in the room that nobody's talking about, but also like the idea that white elephants don't exist and they're not real right like so this idea that it's an it's an imagination this this moment of like living in non-reality and and then at the decision point then reality get has to seep into that to that space which they haven't allowed in the in the past which i think is is maybe um why they're dancing back and forth and not wanting to make that decision either of them but I'd like to point out for our listeners who maybe haven't read the story that nowhere in the text is it actually stated that they're talking about an abortion. I mean, yeah, I agree yeah. 100% that, that that is what they're talking about. Just, I mean, you, I, I admit that I've only read the story three times. And so, you know, I haven't taught it as you have. And um, it's just a, like a legendary story that I hadn't ever read. Um, but, you know, throughout the text... It, you really do have to guess. And so it was on the second reading that I said, okay, well, that's got to be what they're talking about, isn't abortion. Yeah. But in a way, um, you know, I, if Brian, if you deferred to me for the opening question, which you gave me the, the chance to, um, but I think that I would have asked if um, what they're talking about is significant or not, since mm -hmm. it's not stated, right? So, I mean, it's just this thing they're going back and forth about. And, and I do agree with your reading, Matt, but at the same time, you know, if we, if we dial it back to the text itself, we don't know that for sure, because Hemingway never says this is what we're talking about. Um, so does it matter that, that this is talking about a baby? Would it change the reading if it were something else and it were simply something they couldn't agree on? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that 
so so yes i i i think that it's i think it's significant i think that yeah hemingway doesn't come out and say it and i think that's you know that's you know the, the hemingway iceberg theory or whatever he you know proposed and used to write uh, a lot of stories with uh, especially the, a lot of the stories in the collection that this comes from uh men without women but i think that like that idea that a lot of the symbolism and and um and imagery from the story kind of pushes us into this idea of of pregnancy and then the talk of the operation just to let the air in i think that like that uh, idea of uh, i mean it's it well he doesn't say the word abortion specifically right. i think that like yeah it's there and i think that that makes it significant whereas if it was a, just an argument about whether to go to you know barcelona or madrid it wouldn't be it wouldn't be as significant and i don't think that then the reality or gravity of the situation falls into into play as much as it does in in this decision um, that they're trying to make together, um, which I think is maybe I don't know if that is like I don't know if that answers a question or if that is clear well, it, or whatever. It brings up a, it brings up a question for me, which is like you know if you are a member of a certain type of class um, that has the means, you know, to jaunt about Europe. Um, you know, you're staying in hotels. She says all the decisions um, that they usually make is where to go and what to drink. Like, what what type of, you know, crises can you really face, assuming that these are kind of young people? Like, what's what's a bigger crisis to face than this? And so, and I think yeah. for... Life. Sorry, Sorry it ruins their whole life. I mean, they can't keep doing what they're doing with a baby. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I think that it's, you know, one of, if not the biggest kind of crisis that you can have as uh, an individual or a couple, right, is that you're young and you're carefree and you don't really have any worries. And then this happens and your whole life changes. And the fact that he does put that kind of between the lines and not explicitly uh, I think it helps because that's also how they're I mean part of it's how they're dealing with it right they're not coming out and saying this is what I want what do you want you know and so it, it almost it the narrative style represents to a degree or mimics their kind of I think um, decision making around it right Right. Well, they do know that they both want to be happy. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> that's so vague. Well, that's, that is super it's the vague. Only thing that, it's the only thing that's made us unhappy. And, and you think then we'll be all right and we'll be happy if they do it? Yeah, there's, there's nothing. So what's troubling to me is that there's nothing in here that would make me believe that he makes her happy. Aside from the fact <laughs> that they'd been happy before, right? Like I think yeah. that's also part of the thing is that this this moment has revealed both of them to each other in ways that nothing else had before, right? And so we get this kind of we want to go, we want it to go back. You want it to go back. It's going to go back to being happy. We'll go back to being happy. You want it to go back to how we were before. Uh, and and then you know she, I think that there's this moment where she doesn't quite believe that 
he keeps saying, we'll be happy, we'll be happy, we'll be happy. But then maybe this moment where she has this realization that they were never really happy. And I don't, she never really comes out and says that either, but the kind of cadence of the, of the dialogue gets us to that point and her repetition of that kind of gets us to that point, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, the facetious response to um, when he says, you don't have to be afraid. I've known lots of people that have done it. So a yeah. girl, and afterwards they were all so happy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I have that underlined actually in my text and yeah. it's yeah. such a tonal, such a tonal shift from what, from what he's trying to sell to her to what she is trying to sell to him for sure. Yeah. yeah. And he, and he doesn't pick up like he, I feel like he's so thrown off by what she does and she's, she does it frequently just in these couple of pages. So like she had not half to, but it would be, it would be surprising to me if she has not done something like this before. Right. What do you mean? She leads him down that path. You know, if you go back a few lines, um, actually do we, let, let's just read this just because it's going back and forth. And I, I do, I only have one voice. It's just this one. So I'm doing like the man, the woman, the man, the woman. The you can do the girl Brian. Well, no, you can do the girl voice. <laughs> that makes more sense. Um, so I, I want to take it from the girl did not say anything, which is just above the line that you did. And I want to go all the way to, and afterward they were also happy. So, okay. and you have the girl, I'll do the boy. Oh, you want me to do that. Oh yeah. All we're right. doing it. Um, hey, the girl did not say anything. <laughs> I'll go with you and I'll stay with you all the time. They just let the air in and then it's perfectly natural. Then what will we do afterward? We'll be fine afterwards, just like we were before. What makes you think so? That's the only thing that bothers us. It's the only thing that's made us unhappy. The girl looked at the bead curtain, put her hand out and took hold of two of the strings of beads. And you think then we'll be, all, we'll be all right and we'll be happy. I know we will. You don't have to be afraid. I've known lots of people that have done it. So have I, said the girl. And afterwards, they were all so happy. So you, like, it, it's, it's clear to me that she, she is, uh, and I could be wrong about this, but she's, she sees like four moves ahead, right? She's not looking at the next move. She sees four moves ahead. She sees the flaw in his like, strategy and his thinking but she wants to lead him down this path so that he can consciously so that he has to contradict himself or that she can well, clearly contradict him. But Brian, that makes it sound like you think she knows what uh, you think, you know what she really wants from this. Do you? No, I don't. I'm not proposing that at all. Okay. Because like. if <laughs> no. you think she's seen that many moves ahead and leading him somewhere, then she must be leading him to a specific place or conclusion. Well, that I want to I want to propose that that's possible in this case, and also she does the same thing with the "we can have everything" line, right? So she gets him to agree with her, and then she disagrees with him and herself at the same time. And I think that that's that's what I say. That's what I mean when I say that she's seeing four moves ahead. She sees the inherent contradiction in what he thinks and what he's saying. And she doesn't argue with him, right? But she kind of leads him on this dialectical path. We have to like drop dial. We're sponsored by a dialectic. Uh, <laughs> so we have to drop that in a podcast two or three times. Um, uh, so she, instead of arguing with him, she just leads him through the contradictions, right? Because 
She's also, you know, she's tried to change the subject too. Um, when in the, in the point that Anne made about, you know, uh, I might have, the man said, just because you say I wouldn't have doesn't prove anything, right? When they're about to get into a fight about the white elephants. The girl looked at the bead curtain. They've painted something on it, she said. What does it say? Right? She just changes the subject because she sees the conflict coming, I guess. And she sees the argument coming and doesn't want to deal with it. And so she doesn't use... Like, she doesn't try to pick a fight, right? Yes, she, just... she does. Oh, okay. <laughs> she does not. When she says, he, he says everything tastes like licorice, right? Yeah. Like that. And, she, and he, he says that's the way with everything. Yes, said the girl, everything tastes of licorice, especially all the things you've waited so long for, like absinthe. Oh, cut it out. She's picking a fight here. Yeah. You could tell me in the text where you see her not picking a fight up above about the beads. So I, I don't even read that absinthe line as, as her picking a fight, right? Really? Even though he interprets it that way? Because he says, oh, cut it out. Well, and he so, thinks that. I, I think that she's doing the same thing. That That's a teaser of the next two things that she does, right? It tastes like licorice, the girl said, and put the glass down. The boy says... That's the way with everything. Yes, said the girl. Everything tastes like licorice, especially all the things you've waited for, uh, waited so long for, like absinthe. Oh, cut it out, right? So she's doing the same thing where, like, she says something, he agrees, and she kind of, like, sarcastically agrees, which is just exactly similar to, at least the way I'm reading it is very similar to the line, so have I, said the girl, and afterwards they were all so happy, right? So I don't know... And I guess it, it totally depends. So if you're an actor, right, it totally depends on how you're going to read it, right? You can totally read it as picking a fight, or you can also just read it as, yes, dear, whatever you say. And I feel like, I, I feel like from a narrative punch, the yes, dear, whatever you say um, kind of makes more sense to me in this situation just because uh, he then kind of realizes his folly, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it leads, I think if, we're, if you look at it as maybe like this, like the arguments they've had leading up to what's going to happen in the next few lines, you've kind of got this moment of like, if you look at like the Freytag's pyramid kind of like, rising action and then and then resolution everything like that climax whatever you have these kind of false peaks leading up to this moment of confrontation which is confronting the operation right which is kind of like this uh the maybe the climax of the story is the confrontation of that and everything is kind of falling afterwards but i think we have these kind of like false peaks leading up to it right so we argue about the drinks and we argue about the uh like the elephant and then we argue about whatever else and these kind of like small moments that kind of build and build and she kind of help to show us characterization but also kind of like build the uh, the kind of snappy dialogue what we can expect and maybe the how the two react to one another and that's and then we kind of had this plateau when she decides that the, that the hills don't look like elephants. Uh, they don't really look like that. They're kind of lovely anyway. Um, and then and then we kind of and then he kind of doesn't engage with that at all when she's trying to maybe make peace in that situation. And then he can't keep his mouth shut. 
and has to like jump in at this moment where she's maybe maybe he sees her as being a little bit vulnerable because she's not angry or sarcastic in that moment she's genuine and he feels like that's his in and then we get this kind of like rise up to the peak super fast and and this kind of uh, argument back and forth but I think that I, I, I think that she's, I think that that is maybe a, a, like those moments beforehand are, aren't so much yes, dear. I think that, the, I think that they kind of, those moments kind of lead us to this moment of realizing that these conversations have happened before. This isn't the first time they've had the conversation about it. This is maybe, you know, iterations in and she seems tired to me and he is like just trying to he has a he has something that he's trying to do and he's trying to get done and is trying to wear her down and she is just tired is what it reads to me and it feels like she is sick of him and is fighting and and wants to but that's, but that's, just, yeah. that's, just, that's just me no i don't think it's just you i think it is in the text um and the it's not very far from the end i have really big pages so i can't count out my pages the way you do my giant book but the part where when that um one of you already referred to we could have all this she said and we could have everything and every day we make more impossible mm-hmm. doesn't repeat that after he asks her to repeat it um but they're talking about we could have everything we could have the whole world no we can't and i think that has something to do with how tired she is of the situation and maybe she's just um but it's hard to say, is she tired of traveling? Because they've done it for presumably a pretty long time because of all those stickers on their suitcases from the hotels all over the world. Um, but she's definitely tired. And he says, um, oh, I think it's him. Oh, he says it's ours. And then she says, no, it isn't. And once they, whoever they is, once they take it away, you never get it back. But they haven't taken it away. We'll wait and see. And so that the no, it isn't. And once they take it away, you never get it back. That's, I think, a, a sentence that needs some attention because who are, who are they once they take it away? And what is the it? You never get it back. So is that talking about the lifestyle? And maybe they have already taken away this lifestyle. And the they is the two of them who have created a baby. Um, you know, I mean, she's so worn down. You're right. Yeah. But, I think, you know, I think that the pronoun confusion, Oh, sorry. No, go. Yeah. I, th- I think like the, the, that whole section with the pronoun confusion of, of the first person plural. And then, uh, the third person plural, I feel like it's a, it's super intentional on Hemingway's part. You have the idea where we say we could have it all. And then she says, um, he says, what did you say? I said, we could have everything. We can't, or we can't have everything. No, we can't. We can have the whole world. No, we can't. We can go anywhere. No, we can't. It isn't ours anymore. And, and so, I, you know, like this, who is the we in that situation? Is the we her and the man? Is the we the girl and the baby? Like I, and I think the they is confused as well. Is the they them? Is the they the baby itself? Is using it, that third person plural as a first person pronoun? You know, I think it's a really interesting use of, like kind of pronoun confusion and, and this kind of uh, dialogue they're having ends up being, it ends up to me being all about the woman and the baby, the girl and the baby, I think is, is I think at this point, at least maybe from the girl's perspective 
of the, her dialogue, it feels like the the American, the man has been totally left out of the, the situation. I feel like she's made the decision by that point that he's gone and it's now her referring to herself and the baby potentially. He and the baby could have had everything. Yeah. Like if only he'd man up. Yeah, maybe something like that. That's an interesting reading. I mean, and it, it I'll, I'll mention something that lends a little bit of credence to that is that there's, there's two lines and I don't know if I believe him, but there's two lines where he describes his feelings towards her. Um, you know, she's talking, she repeats three times that she doesn't care about herself. And he says, well, I care about you. And then when she repeats three times, um, for him to shut up, he says, I do anything for you, but there's no line in here about how she feels about him. There's, you know, we were happy. We could be happy. Uh, there's a, we, but there's no line in here about her feelings towards him. Um, and I think that's interesting. And I'm wondering if that's potentially because her focus is no longer shifted or it is no longer on him. Uh, it's slightly on the relationship, but implicit in that potentially is that it's all about her child now and that that's, that's the shift that's potentially happening. But what's weird to me that I'm trying to figure out is this line shortly after I do anything for you where uh, she says, would you please, 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 please stop talking. He did not say anything, but looked at the bags against the wall of the station. There were labels on them for all the hotels where they had spent nights, but I don't want you to, he said, I don't care anything about it. I'll scream. The girl said, the way that I read that first part of his line, but I don't want you to, is him saying, I don't want you to have the operation. Because I don't know what else they're talking about there. But following that up with, I don't care anything about it, <laughs> makes very little sense to me. And then her response of, I'll scream, makes total sense in that, wait, dude, you just said, I don't want you to. Okay, I have a you know somewhat of a decision as far as what you want, but then you followed that up with I don't care anything about it. Like I would scream in that situation, you know. It's like you can't tell me how you feel and then say, but I don't really care. Am I am I overreading those lines, or you know, do you read them in a similar vein? No, because I think before that, the entire time he's been trying to convince her to have the operation. He like this in his entire character. This in this entire. Uh, this entire story, I think maybe it goes back to your original point of whether she's asking, wants a specific answer from him or whether he's trying to give a solution. I think that he's trying to give a solution, but he wants to give a solution that he thinks she wants to hear. Right. So he's trying all these different, like, I want you to get the operation. I don't want you to get the operation, but I don't really care if you get the operation or not, because it's totally up to you because I shouldn't have a say in it at all. Right. Like he tries all these different tax and and neither none of them work because that's really not the ultimate goal right she doesn't want a solution in that situation and i think that that's so i don't think you're reading it wrong i think it's totally accurate but it's kind of like his final like i'll do anything for you but listen i I don't want you to have the operation but i don't really care if you do or not right and so i so i think that maybe that's like she's 
finally just sick of him kind of dancing around the situation and not taking the lead or maybe maybe that goes back to your original theory of maybe she's asking him to take the lead and make a decision and he won't do it so maybe you just changed my entire reading of the story i don't know <laughs> you ruined me brian you ruined me <laughs> what do you make of the train coming in five minutes so that's repeated too. You know, so she says, I'll scream. The woman came out through the curtains with two glasses of beer and put them down on the damp felt pads. The train comes in, comes in five minutes, she said. What did she say? Asked the girl. That the train is coming in five minutes. I mean, it adds, adds this great urgency, right? To what they're doing. Were they trying to figure out a solution before they leave the station, do we think? I mean, he, because it's timed, right? The whole thing, first it's 40 minutes, right? The train comes in 40 minutes. And I don't know, I didn't really notice the countdown here, but um, you know, by the time we get there, it's getting closer and closer. So what do we make of that urgency? Yeah, and I think his decision to take the bags over to, this, to the other side of the station too, right? I mean, I, I, mean, I think that def deferring to him to lift the bags is, you know, maybe says something about like, uh, uh, chivalry of the time or something but or or gender roles of the time but I think specifically right he takes her bag as well in the hope that maybe you know she's going to get on the train with him mm -hmm. and not and they're not going to go separate directions I think that's probably specific I think that the the repetition of the train comes in five minutes is is maybe it's said in Spanish by the waitress right yeah I understand that. yeah but then it's still that yeah, anyway, it's finding still. a way to be like, boom 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 five minutes yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I think, I think, yeah, maybe timed. I don't think that I had, I don't think that I had thought about them being on a timeline like that beforehand, but I think that, um, I mean, that definitely adds forward motion to the story, right? That whole kind of frame of waiting for the train mm -hmm. and it feeling like a countdown, I think is definitely something that adds tension and, and yeah. kind of ups the stakes. But then it's funny because he takes the bags and then he just kind of, what, he just sort of moseys through the bar and he stops for a drink? Yeah. I mean, who would do that? Oh, yeah. absence again. That's <laughs> totally relatable to me. But the train <laughs> is coming in, in such a short amount of time and you left somebody sitting and then you're just going to stop at the bar and have another drink. And and then I guess this is him thinking they were, um, he, he drank an anise, anise, anise at the bar and looked for the people, looked at the people. They were all waiting reasonably for the train. Okay, so what's what is what is that opposed to? Is he not waiting reasonably? Is you know because he doesn't seem real reasonable. And is this just an acknowledgement that he's a little bit out there right now? In that yeah. Sense. I think that it, it it shows their separation too, right? You have the man at the bar and you have the girl at the table, which I think is like, in some sense of some readings, people have assumed that that means that like there's that's Hemingway pointing to that, like they're going their separate ways, that they are separate in that situation, that he's at the bar with all these people and she's at the table by herself and that's setting them apart in that situation too. So I think maybe that's, maybe maybe the, the drink is a device to get him to the bar and to show that separation in some way, um, which is maybe that or maybe maybe I think also you're right to show how unreasonable he is against all these reasonable people to kind of put a mirror up against him and and to show him himself in some way shape or form well 
Is he reasonable? Are they reasonable? Why are the hills like white elephants? These are all questions <laughs> that we're not going to have time to get to. We're at our time. Thanks, guys. Uh, oh, okay. yeah. No, if you want to do like a parting question for our listeners so they can mull this over uh, and go for it. Well, and it's hard to stop with this one, you know, because there's so much to tease out. And, you know, just we were right here for readers not following along. We were just one paragraph from the end. Um, but he, when he gets back from the bar, he asks her, do you feel better? And she says, I feel fine. There's nothing wrong with me. I feel fine. And, and I kind of like this because there's nothing wrong with me. You know, I, I think about, and I've, I've had two children. So when I've been pregnant, people do tend to treat pregnant people like there's something wrong. Um, you know, they'll, they'll lift things for you. They'll, they'll try to do things for you, but nothing's wrong with you. Cause it's a natural state. Yeah. Like women are supposed to be pregnant. You know I mean? It's, it's like normal. So that it's just interesting that she says that. And I wondered if that's part of what she's feeling, you know, that she's saying to them, Hey, none of this is weird. Like this is what we're designed to do. Yeah. This is a, but then he's like freaking about it. And there's no reason to. Maybe that's what she's saying. I don't know. I think her use of fine, too, is always kind of like whenever somebody says they're fine, right. it's like saying, oh, I'm really glad. I'm really glad. It's like one of those milk toast words that yeah. is just like, well, you're obviously not that. <laughs> you know, that's not real. Uh, right. But coupled yeah. with there's nothing wrong with me, because that's yeah. true. Yeah, I'm fine. Everything's fine. Yeah. yeah. Okay, Brian. Sorry about that. No, no, you're fine. You're fine. Like you said, there's plenty to, plenty to chew on here. Um, well, thank you, Anne. Thank you, Matt, for joining our, our first pod special. Um, uh, you know, listeners, please tune into the, their interviews, which you can find on our website. Um, and Hey, this was a blast. Thank you guys for doing this. Yeah. Thanks for having me.